Hello and welcome to Connecting the Pieces, an Eastern Sector Development Team podcast focused on connecting, supporting and promoting good diversity, wellness and reablement approaches. My name is Dale Park and today with my colleague Lisa Dean, we are talking with Vicky Bailey, Social Support Manager at Basscare. Hello everyone and welcome Vicky. Lovely to have you here today. So we wanted to talk to you about care planning, which we know is such an important element of a wellness approach, and perhaps more so in a period of time where clients may not be accessing face-to-face service. So Vicky, what does good care planning typically look like for your organisation and importantly for people accessing your service? Well, the perspective starting point for me has always been care. And then the planning kind of leads us into the future. So people come to activities at Basscare looking for a link, and it might be because their spouse has died or they've lost some connections somewhere else. So here we are mm-hmm. providing a place where people can connect with, perhaps make some new friends, new connections in a safe environment, doing things that they may have done before or they may not. The social aspect is very important and that's tacked on to everything we do, be that a dining experience where we have lunch every day or an outing with others on a bus, which is not as common these days, or exercise. And that's been a real pearl for us, a jewel in our crown. So exercise for seniors can make a huge difference to the whole way in which they're able to live. That's a great point, Vicky, and I think it's also a really important point that demonstrates how care planning helps us to understand what's important to people and how we can meet their needs to support their social connection, whether it be through a lunch or an exercise program. So how do you actually do this in practice? As a new person comes to us, we talk to them a bit about what they want to get out of the experience of being here, whether they've been referred to us from a friend or through My Age Care or they live locally and they just want something else to do. So it's very much a who are you, what would you like? And we have we, we, we probably meet someone first with an informal conversation and they get a sense of the environment here and whether they'd like to be a part of it. And if they decide they they would like to, then we move on to a care plan, which is a documented idea of what they're after. And sometimes that requires quite a bit of guidance because they may not know what we have. So we talk a bit about who they are, where they've come from, what the experience is that's brought them to Care, And then we highlight things that might add to their life experience. We work gently towards identifying what we call goals. And that might sound a bit weird to some people, but that's Mm -hmm. the way we term it. Vicky, I think that's a really great reminder about the language that we use, that it needs to be meaningful for the clients who access our service. So talking about goals may not be helpful for everybody. We need to find ways to explain that our approach is about working with people to develop a plan that's going to best meet their needs. Definitely. We try and identify a purpose and something thereafter. And that's really a friendly conversation that comes out with a couple of objectives and they meet the old SMART objectives. 
in a very friendly, informal but documented way. So Vicky, it sounds like uh, the care planning process for your organisation is really about getting to know who the person is mm-hmm. and what's important to them. How do you think it helps you to identify your clients' diversity, you know, how each person is different and each person is an individual? I think a one-on-one conversation with anyone will give a bit of a picture of who the person is. So while we have a standard question, each individual has a different response and we listen up to what that is. And purely by the way in which they answer, when they pause, what they think about, what they talk to us about, and when they want to come back, how frequently they want to come back. I think it's a bit of a slow build. And as we get to know people, they'll reveal more about who they are and what they want and start to meet others who they'll then form gentle and then maybe quite enduring friendships or relationships with. That's so true, Vicky. You know, it's so important to understand that we often build rapport over time and that people may not always share information at our first meeting. Earlier, you mentioned about the environment and it's so important to create a welcoming environment where people feel safe. I think that's right, Lisa. And to, I guess, maybe add to that, I imagine it's also quite beneficial in just reminding ourselves that we can't make assumptions about someone just because of their age or their mobility or the culture or the language that they speak. Would you say this resonates with your experience, Vicky? For sure. Those reminders are constant. And sometimes we know things about people that might take years to come out but it's all part of a slowly building picture. Do you have any examples of how those stories have come out and been shared? I guess one of the surprises for me was that we now have a small library that contains books that have been either written by or ghost-written about the lives of people who now come here. There's about five of them. And they're available for borrowing by other people who come here who might have met those people over lunch. You know, lives lived in other parts of Australia or the world. And the stories that come with those encourage others to tell more about their lives and the number of intersections there are between people and what they do. But, Vicky, it does really um, bring home the idea that, you know, most people have lived really kind of full and rich lives and have lots of experiences and just understanding some of those things helps us to understand who those people are and where they've come from and, you know, perhaps also what they might be looking to do into the future. Great information to know in terms of, providing a kind of social support program. You touched on the idea around the pandemic earlier. So how do you think um, your approach to care planning has supported your organisation to get 
through service delivery during this time of COVID? We started ringing people saying, I'm sorry, our face-to-face programs are not continuing this week. We're not sure when they're going to start again, but we will get back to you. And we have about 350 people who we regularly send our newsletter to, uh, which prior to the pandemic was a newsletter we sent every two months. We increased the the, um, sending of the newsletter to monthly. During the period after the first phone call, we put together a few questions and we then made a second call to everybody. Here again, the emphasis on care. We were thinking, what could matter to people right now? So it sounds like you're keen to understand what was important to your clients during this time. What did that conversation look like? What did you determine was important to discuss? We asked them a number of questions. We asked them whether they were comfortable going shopping or whether they would like to take advantage of our Meals on Wheels program. We asked them whether they would like to have a weekly phone call from us just to keep in touch or whether they had other people who they were contacting. We asked them whether they'd be interested in a group phone call because the conference call, which I'd been involved with as part of the life writing course uh, a number of years ago, reminded me of the value of a group meeting and just hearing other voices and how much you can do on the telephone with a group of people, not just a one-on-one, particularly Mm. when life starts to get a bit quiet and there's not a lot to talk about. So we started a second round of calls and we rang everybody. And from that, we discovered how many people wanted to be involved with a conference call or an individual call or wanted to increase and receive meals on wheels or wanted to be left alone or wanted to make do with what they had. They had relatives, they had friends, they had neighbours who could support them. We did offer the option of, will we just contact you when things change? And we didn't know when things were going to change. Nobody did. Mm. And all the time we were working towards reopening. And the, the gold standard was, well, the thing everyone wanted was for us to reopen. We wanted it. As staff, we wanted it. We started to think about what reopening would look like. And as we thought about that, I guess, uh, and the pandemic started to look like a more difficult nut to crack we thought about how we might be able to return and that looked like it was going to be one-on-one activities obviously everyone from the clients to the volunteers and all of your staff wanted face-to-face services to return as quickly and as safely as possible but we know that there was a significant gap where that couldn't happen and I know that you put in place conference calls and set up Zoom conferences and had individual calls with clients. How were they received and how important were they for your clients? The group phone calls were good and slowly the conference calls built from uh, three a week for the exercise classes to 10. So we had regularly 10 weekly calls, weekly or fortnightly calls. And there again, the sharing of care between people and their interest in one another 
and finding out what they were doing was a real delight. Like, what have you been reading? Oh, my flowers are budding. Oh, my flowers are blooming. People started to get a picture of other people's gardens. As one staff member who told me that the weekly calls she was making to clients had painted pictures for her of their entire house, she could tell you where the back door was in relation to the kitchen and where the cat slept and what was growing in the garden. There was a lot of phone call, individual and conference calling. And I guess that's, and then the delivery of meals. So those were the three main elements. Through Zoom, through individual phone calls, through conference calls, and through our monthly newsletter, we remained in touch with people. Vicky, your approach really reinforces and demonstrates the value of an ongoing care planning approach. Uh, really important that we recognise that it's this is not a one-off event, it's not static, that as our clients needs change, we need to be adaptable and, and flexible. And I think what really came out strong from what you were saying about the phone calls, that to me was indicating quite a deeper knowledge and connection with the clients because they're finding out things that they may not have known about their, you know, their home life and things like that. And so I wonder if that knowledge then actually feeds into that kind of building a picture of who the client is and, and, and what care or support they need. Definitely. Yeah, I think it does. There's, there's a spin-off for staff because we're more connected with clients, but, but definitely for clients and for clients' relationships with one another, which I can't, I can't promote strongly enough. I think that building of relationships between people who attend a common place is the most important element of what we do. So it's kind of like taking on the role of a bit of a facilitator, if you like, or a connector. Yeah. Yes. Which is lovely. Yeah. That's how I see it, yeah. Yeah. So we're now kind of moving into a period, Vicky, where you're no doubt thinking about sort of moving back to face-to-face service delivery. Uh, in terms of your, you know, sort of planning, care planning approach, what what does that look like for Care? All along the road of the pandemic, and when we went into heavy lockdown in July, the one loud clanging question was, when are we reopening? When are we coming back? When will we be back at the centre? So that was the beacon that would drive me every time the newsletter came out you know what can we offer people that's going to lift their spirits when they're at home and they know this might be a while and in the heaviest part of the lockdown always at top of mind was how soon can we get back what's the earliest way we could do it and what can we do to move that along we were getting messages from the directives from the state government that outdoor exercise was going to be more likely than indoor. So we started working with the spaces we had and the measurements we knew we were going to have to support. Uh, And we knew that 
four metres squared was likely to be the area allocated to any individual who returned here. Matthew, as a party hour exercise physiologist, started looking at that as a model and we created an outdoor space. So when we could meet with groups of less than 10 outdoors, we had exercise staff ready to go and we then needed the buy-in from our clients. Were they ready? Did they feel comfortable and safe? So your organisation has obviously done a lot of thinking about setting up so that your services can be provided safely. What are some of the considerations that you needed to think about from a client's perspective who might be thinking about returning to service? So exercise physiologist, he designed a, a set of questions which asked people to think about their medical state of body and their physical state of body. Had they had any falls in the period of the lockdown? Could you just explain to us why it was important for you to review these elements of your clients' care plans prior to them returning to face-to-face service delivery? We had been hearing loud and clear about the number of people who'd fallen. It was reported anecdotally individually by people on phone calls, but we were also getting messages from Access Health and from hospitals and from updates from the local council that there was a very high degree of increase in falls. So what approach did you use to understand the needs of your clients returning to service? We designed a program where we um, allocated phone calls. There were 80 people who previous to the pandemic came to exercise classes, allocated calls to different staff, and they then started phoning exercise clients and letting them know that we were thinking of returning, but to outdoor sport, were they interested in coming? And if they were interested, could we ask them a few questions about their medical state for now and during the period of the pandemic had it changed and about their physicality were they still exercising how would they compare the amount of exercise they were doing during the pandemic with what they'd done in 2019 that was starting Mm. to seem like a long time ago Mm. had they been doing 30 minutes of exercise a day and for some people even for me some days that's a bit of a shocking question please don't ask 30 minutes. (laughs) And during the pandemic in your own house where there's not the same incentive to walk around the block, that was a bigger question. But it did have both us and them thinking about their ability to return to what they had been doing. And what do you think were some of the benefits about reviewing client progress through care planning as part of your return to service, particularly for those involved with the exercise programs. Recognising that their fitness was likely to be lower, Mm -hmm. uh, but their enthusiasm was still at a high level, yet there was some ambivalence. Goodness me, I haven't been out, I haven't been exercising, I haven't been with other people that's actually a little hump to get over before Mm. returning. But we did find there were a lot of people who were keen to come back. And we had some some safeguards built in even beyond that reassessment or that 
that um, extra care taken to get people thinking about and being prepared to return. So if someone had been to hospital, we would ask for a second layer of, I guess, insurance for us and for them. We'd ask them to book in and talk to our exercise physiologist with a one-on-one consult or alternatively, and sometimes both, ask for a medical clearance signed off by their GP. And we have found that when we opened outside exercise, which in the end was only for one week, we had an enthusiastic uptake. And in fact, one class said, oh, can we do outside exercise again when we come back? And I'm delighted to say that today we will be having a Tuesday exercise class for the first time since March. Mm. And so this week we'll be having an expected total of 34 people returning to indoor exercise. So part of that care planning process for people returning to -to face-to-face service delivery, I imagine would have involved understanding the level of mobility that people have and making sure that the exercises were scalable to suit different needs and different abilities? that's been something that each of the instructors has been focused on. So they know that they're going to have not just the range of ability and fitness that they had prior to the pandemic, but some of the people within those groups are going to have kept their fitness or lost it to a different degree. Vicky, your your staff have obviously maintained regular contact with your clients over this period of time What other approaches have you used to ensure that people are supported and engaged through your service? In the newsletter, we included every second month a little card where we would invite conversation from clients. So, for example, we asked clients to write on the back of the card Tell us where your favourite place is. So it might be a place, for some people, it was the home they're currently living in. For others, it was the beach at Broome or a holiday in France. People return the cards with a summary or a description or sometimes an accompanying photo of a favourite place, which linked us to them. And then in the following newsletter, we would print the replies that we got from clients. So the responses that we got from clients were an indication that we were maintaining rapport. I think the biggest indicator for clients on the phone calls was that they kept turning up to the phone calls. Yeah. We often hear a lot of discussion and rhetoric around we're all in this together, which in one aspect is very true. But what we also know is that people who have experienced inequality or discrimination can face additional barriers than when it comes to something like COVID. Was there anything that you noticed within your client group that, that kind of related to this? Or, and was there anything that you were able to do to, to I guess, help them overcome some of those, those barriers? I think isolation did shine during this time. It, it has been a very tough and lonely time for some. And I think those with whispers of dementia or more significant dementia have felt this harshly. And there are a few who feel it and tell us. And, 
And I fear there are a lot more who feel it and don't tell us. But from those who do tell us, we would be getting regular phone calls in. And for those who were receiving Meals on Wheels, that was the, that was the biggest offering that simulated face-to-face -face mm. attendance. It was physically that. It was one of the essential services that we were allowed to continue to deliver. Mm. And for those who were very lonely, I think it was an absolute lifeline to have someone coming to the door once a day when 12 o'clock was coming, that would be when lunch was coming. And if lunch hadn't arrived, then, well, better phone because I'd hate to be forgotten. Mm. So I think Meals on Wheels have been very, very much appreciated during this time. And I guess the, the downside of, for those who really felt the social isolation but didn't call out we would hear that they'd fallen and for people living at home alone, it's, it has been very, very tough for some. Mm. I think pets have taken a new position in people's lives and for those who have pets, they've been far more precious than ever mm. before. And the flip side of that is for the pets. <laughs> yeah. Because when life goes back to normal, they'll have a bit less attention than they have had. Mm. But certainly, I think social isolation, the, the people who have felt inequality and discrimination, yes, indeed, this has been a very harsh, tough time. So for people who were invisible already in the street, to be invisible at home and not allowed to go out, and when you do go out, you're masked, and if you're wearing a mask and you need glasses and your glasses fog up, then the risk of falling is greater again. So it's a tough, tough uh, trifecta. I think you're absolutely right. Those additional supports, whether it be that daily conversation with someone through Meals on Wheels or that reliance on a pet for stimulation and engagement, we really can't underestimate that. Thinking about some other positive aspects that may have come out of this. Are there any reflections that you have either within your own workforce or a client story that really shows some positive change that's come about? I think one of the greatest bonuses during the pandemic from my point of view has been having regular staff meetings on Zoom, bizarrely. I guess one of the greatest challenges of managing a team of 18 who are all part-time is that you never get together. Mm. Whereas during this time, we have at 9.30 on a Thursday, come onto the Zoom and given personal observations and then work observations. And it's bonded us in a way that for me has really been quite touching. And I, I miss it. We did the last one a couple of weeks ago because we were coming back here. And so we're trying to find a way and a time where we can continue it as an option for people who would like to keep coming. Mm -hmm. And I imagine like linking this all back to, I guess, care planning and the care planning process, that, that kind of informal but scheduled conversation allows you to share information with each other about the clients. Yes, indeed. That 
conversation was very important for updating one another. I guess there were a lot of issues during the pandemic that were common to clients and to staff. So we were all living isolation. And in some ways, it probably showed us to a much deeper level what some of our clients are doing all of the time. Well, I think that's the perfect insight to finish on, Vicky. I agree, the ability to have greater empathy and understanding about social isolation really has been heightened during this time. And I think there's a lot of lessons that we can take forward on how we support our clients better and how we ensure that they're always at the centre of their care. Thank you for taking the time to talk us through your experiences and how you use the care planning process to really understand where clients are at, what needs and preferences they have, and how you can effectively and safely help them return to -to face-to-face services. And thank you for listening. This has been Connecting the Pieces, a podcast for the Eastern Sector Development Team. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out our website, esdt.com.au, for other resources and contact information. Connecting the Pieces is recorded on Wurundjeri land. The Eastern Sector Development Team acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the traditional custodians of land and sea throughout Australia and pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Eastern Sector Development Team is supported by the Australian Government Department of Health and although funding has been provided by the Australian Government, the materials and comments made do not necessarily represent the views or the policies of the Australian Government.